Welcome to Tokyo Game Life, a Tokyo-based video game podcast focusing on Nintendo and gaming culture in Japan's capital. Your host, Mono, here to bring you a slice of gaming life from Tokyo. But for this episode's feature, we're stepping outside of Tokyo and heading down to Yokohama for the Pokemon World Championships. Japan-based Pokemon superfan Tiani, aka Alola Pixie, joins me to chat all about Japan's first-ever Pokemon Worlds event. Pikachu parades, luxury cruise ships, giant Pokemon cards. There's so much to get into, and we're going to touch on it all. In the game section, I give my final thoughts on the surprisingly epic Pikmin 4. And yes, there will be a Pikmin ranking. And as always, we will close out with the news, a lot of very unexpected news items, to say the least. Let's head to the Pokemon World Championships in Yokohama with Alola Pixie. Tokyo Game Life, only on the Tokyo Beat Podcast Network. days ago, the world visited Yokohama to take part in the Pokemon World Championships. It was the first Pokemon World's event competition ever held in Japan, and the Pokemon company spared no expense to make it the biggest and most exciting event yet. I only spent a day there, but fortunately, I'm joined by a guest who can tell me about everything I missed. So guest, please introduce yourself. Aloha, everyone. My name is Tiani, aka Alola Pixie on Instagram, and I'm joined here today to talk about Pokemon World Yokohama. Thanks for joining me. At the end of last year's event, the Pokemon Company announced that Pokemon World 2023 would be held in Yokohama, the real-life Vermilion City. What was your reaction upon hearing that Pokemon World was finally coming to Japan? Oh, I was so excited. I was actually debating moving back home to America at the time. But once I heard Worlds was going to be in Japan for the first time, I definitely decided to stay. And I really (laughs) wanted to experience all that I could. Why do you think they held it in Yokohama instead of Tokyo or Osaka? I feel like it was a good way to get people out of the big main cities that everyone always travels to. Tokyo and Osaka are really popular among tourists, so it was a good way to get people out and see more of Japan that was really beautiful. Yeah, and I noticed Yokohama definitely has a lot of event spaces and hotels, especially the Minato Mirai area. It feels very futuristic. Yeah, for sure. I really love that area of Yokohama. I've been in Japan for a few years now, and maybe this was my fourth time visiting Yokohama, and I always go to Minato Mirai because there's so much going on and a lot to see. There's so much to talk about, but I guess we should start with the obvious. If you had to pick one, what was the best activity you took part in during Pokemon Worlds? I really enjoyed the drone show. We ended up winning tickets off of the lottery system online. And in the evening, I think around 8.30 p.m., there was a live Pikachu dance parade. They were dancing to EDM and it was really cute. And then after the dancing, they had a huge drone show up in the air over the bay of Minato Mirai. And it was just so amazing. That was my first time to see a drone show. What kind of things did they make with the drone? So it started off with Pikachu, of course, and then they went through a bunch of legendaries, Ho-Oh, Lugia, Mew. They had the original three starters, Charizard, Venusaur, and Blastoise. There was a huge rolling Pokeball up in the air at one point. They spelled out Pokemon World Championships Yokohama. And at the end, they did a Pokemon with you. And I literally started crying. It was so amazing. (laughs) Yeah, that was one event I wasn't able to attend. But for me, I think my favorite was the Pokemon Trainer Cruise. Did you manage to board the ship? 
Yes, I did. The first day that we reserved for it was all booked, but we ended up reserving again the next day. And I'm so glad we did because it was so amazing. It, I felt like I was in the game. Yeah. Listeners, if you don't know, it's a huge luxury cruise ship, the Nippon Maru. And it was decked out with a ton of Pokemon decorations. It is like a real life SSAN from the original games. And there were massive banners on the outside of the ship. And the inside had a ton of Pokemon art and decorations. The windows had these Pokemon seals on them. And the tables had Pokemon patterns. Even the pool area had this huge banner of a Lapras. It was so awesome. It was decked out floor to ceiling with these awesome details, so much attention to detail. I took as many pictures as possible. I did use the TCG area to film some content. I opened up the world's uh, deck from the store and we walked around. I wanted to do some video game training, but my Switch was dead, unfortunately. And um, we did find a few Easter eggs in the trash cans on board. If you opened them up and you could find the great ball or yuck, you shouldn't have looked in there. So that was so satisfying as a, ga a gamer from OG times. It was awesome to see that. Yeah, I agree. Even though I didn't really battle on the ship, it's a really beautiful place to explore. It feels like a fancy hotel, and it's loaded with a lot of things to take photos of. One of my favorites, of course, you mentioned were the trash cans, which kind of look a bit out of place because they are these silver metal trash cans in the middle of this luxury cruise. But it's really fun to open and you see, oh, you found a great ball or there's nothing inside. It does feel like you're visiting a place in the game. Did, yeah. you, meet, did you meet Captain Pikachu? No, I didn't. I actually didn't know that that was an opportunity on the boat. I definitely would have tried if I could have. But did you get to meet him? Yes, I had a lot of bad luck when it came to the lottery systems for Pokemon Worlds. But this was the one thing I got lucky for. Because when you get your ticket, there's actually kind of this nice paper ticket and it comes in like a small envelope. And during the Pokemon trading card game area, they have the stamp area. I guess it's like a stamp rally. And so I thought, okay, I'll stamp my tickets. And so I open one, and inside of the ticket is this slip of paper that says, congratulations, you've been invited to this special event. My wife came with me, and only one of these tickets had this slip. So I thought, this is weird. I never even heard of this. What is this? So we went to the concierge on the third floor, and they were all excited. And they were like, oh, congratulations. And they told me, oh, go to the sixth floor and show them the ticket. And so you go to the sixth floor and there's one area where it just has a guy standing there and you show him the ticket and he's like, okay, hold on. I think it is kind of rare because when I went there, there's only one other person who had the ticket. And you can imagine if you went on the ship, how crowded it is out of all the people on the ship, only two of those to have tickets is pretty rare, I think. So I got quite lucky. And so they take you to the room and it's these really narrow hallways where it is like the suites where people actually sleep and stay if they were on the cruise. And I didn't know what it was at all. And my wife suspected, oh, it's a Pokemon room they're taking us to. They open the door and then inside is a staff member and then Captain Pikachu is there. So Captain Pikachu, if you don't know listeners, is just a huge Pikachu with a white and gold captain's outfit. And so you can go inside and you can say hi and take pictures of him. And they actually give you a, it's called checky in Japanese, but like a printout photo like a picture that can print out instantly. So that was a great souvenir. So even though I wasn't able to attend a lot of the events because of the lottery system, I at least got to meet Captain Pikachu. 
Wow, that's so awesome. And it also ties into the new anime that's out right now, too, with Cap. So that's really cool. Oh, you're so lucky. I guess we should really go down the list and talk about the things we did or did not do. Unfortunately, a lot of the events were based on a lottery system. So unless you won the lottery weeks beforehand, you can't do some activities. Did you think the lottery system was a good idea or do you think it was too limiting? Uh, I did not enjoy the lottery system. I myself actually didn't win anything at all. My boyfriend who I attended Worlds with, he won all of the things that we did. So I understand that they wanted to try and do it fairly, maybe give people a chance to win. But I personally did not like the lottery system. Yeah, I agree. I think it is kind of a leftover from COVID because during the COVID era, the lottery system became really, really prominent for even really basic events. And especially Pokemon, they fell in love with the lottery system, uh, especially for Pokemon cards. You can't just go to the Pokemon Center. you got to win the lottery and then you have the honor of paying them money. But I, I do feel it was a bit limiting. But yeah, there were a lot of people there. So I understand them wanting to not make it to where it's just you're waiting in line for a long time. The trainer crews did not have a lottery, so anyone could go. And it was free, so a lot of people found their way over there. But you do have to wait in line quite a long time to even enter the cruise. So I, I can kind of see them not wanting to have every event to be like that, but still. Yeah, especially for people who are planning to come to this for months and then finding out you had to do a lottery system to win and then not winning anything must have been really heartbreaking. All right, let's go down the big activity list. Pikachu gathering. Did you see any of the Pikachu gatherings? Yes, I did. The very first day I went to Yokohama, I met up with some friends and we attended the 345 show. So they had already saved some seats up front and I squeezed my way through the crowd. But there was a few Pikachus in line doing their dancing with the the dancers human dancers, humans and Pikachus. But yeah, it was quite similar to a lot of the parades I've seen before. I did attend Pokemon Go Fest in Sapporo, and I also did the Pikachu outbreak in 2019. I managed to see one of them, and I have actually seen the Pikachu gathering before because even though this is the first time Pokemon Worlds was in Yokohama, every now and then Yokohama does have these sort of Pikachu-related events. This is actually my second time coming across a Pikachu parade. The first time was actually by pure accident. I just oh. man, I just happened to go to Yokohama that day and then a bunch oh. of Pikachus were there. But yeah, it's a lot of fun because the Pikachu costumes are quite nice and they can move a lot in them. Yeah, I'm always so shocked how they can twirl and do all these dance moves and not overheat, especially in this Japanese summer. There was also a Pokemon parade, which I guess is technically different from a Pikachu gathering and a night event called imagination into the next. Did you attend any of these events? No, I did not go to either of those. I know the imagination into the next was near the red brick building and maybe the parade was on the very last day of the events and I had already gone home by then. Yes. And both are lottery system uh, events. So if you don't have a ticket, you're not going. But one thing that anybody could do are the pokegenic photo spots, which are Pokemon graffiti murals spread around Yokohama. Did you come across any and which were your favorites? Yes, I did. I actually wanted to hunt down as many as possible and I waited until evening time most days because it had cooled down and the crowds were 
fewer. So I think I ended up finding maybe around 30 or so. I really enjoyed the wings. So they had Butterfree, Vivian, and Beautyfly. So I thought that was super cute. I could take a little picture with some wings. And I also really enjoyed the murals of all of the Pikachu faces and all of the Ditto faces. Yeah, there were a few Pikachu face ones, but I think that was definitely one of the more popular ones because I saw a huge line outside of all of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I really liked the real-life Pokemon installments, too. Near the Marine and Walk, they had a little Bidoof chewing on his wood in the bushes. They had a light-up ghost Pokemon right outside the cruise area. And Ghost-type is my favorite, so I really enjoyed that one, too. Yeah, some of them are a little subtle. One of them is construction area, and it has a sign with Watchog and also Excadrill. So if you just walk by it, you won't think that it's a Pokemon photo spot. But then you'll, oh, actually. (laughs) I definitely walked by three times and never noticed it. And the fourth time I was walking by with a group of friends and they're like, oh, did you guys see this one? And I was like, what? (laughs) And yep, lo and behold, it's a Pokemon stop. (laughs) Another really popular one was in the Hammerhead which is like the mall area where the Pokemon Trainer Cruise was. They have a lot of the den, the den graffitis, and they're all next to these outlets. So you have to kind of bend down to take photos of them. But there's a few right over there. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to see those, but I saw them all over Instagram and they looked so cute. I liked, there was one where it looked like electricity was coming out of it and you you were getting shocked. Mm, Yes. Outlet. (laughs) There was also Pokemon Matsuri Park, which was a Pokemon-themed Obon festival. Were you able to check this out at all? No, I didn't. And I was really bummed out because I actually found out that the lottery ticket winning for that event was only to participate in the games and winning prizes. But anyone could have attended the Matsuri just to watch the performances. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was wondering why there was such long lines for it throughout the day in during championships because I thought, wow, so many people won the lottery for this, but actually they were allowing people to just come in and watch the dances. So I was bummed that I missed that one. I did notice that the Pokemon official Instagram, they did upload a 17-minute video of the dance. So I think they they understand that, okay, not everyone can attend or they didn't win the lottery. So we'll just show them for free. Yeah, a lot of people wanted to see that one. That's the epitome of Japanese culture, right? I really wanted to see that one. There were a couple of other Pokemon events that technically weren't part of World, but they were in Yokohama at the same time. There was the Pokemon Card Art Walk in Landmark Plaza and a special Pikachu collab at the Cup Noodle Museum. Did you check any of these out? Yes, I did. So I am really big on TCG collecting too. So I actually brought as many of my cards with me as I could that I knew were going to be part of the art walk. And I took my real life card pictures with the card backdrops. And it was way more than I was expecting. I had no idea how many actual cards there were going to be. But yeah, I was glad I could take a few pictures with the super cool full arts and secret rares. So I really enjoyed that. And yes, I also did go to the Pikachu cup noodle 
art installation at the Cup Noodle Museum. Yeah, so you didn't have to pay to go to the museum at all. It was in a free area right in the lobby. The huge stairwell in there was covered with the Pikachu cup noodle design. So I ran up the stairs and took a picture with that. And then I lined up for maybe about 10 or 15 minutes and you could climb into the cup noodle with Pikachu popping out of it. So you were actually in the cup too. So that was really cool and free. It was a good free event. Yeah, I attended the Pokemon Card Art Walk. And listeners, if you're not sure what this is, it takes place in this big department store and they have these huge metal versions of Pokemon cards that are standing up. And it's really awesome. They have all the legendaries from all the different generations and they're printed on this metal sheet. But the metal also has a lot of indentions and detail to it. So the cards look really, really detailed and really vivid. So it's a really great place to take photos of. And I think the the coolest one is this huge Pikachu card made out of sand and flowers that's on the first floor. But to get a better picture of it, you need to go to the third floor and you can take a picture of it from the third floor. And it looks really, really beautiful. Yeah, that was super amazing. Real art made out of the flower petals and sand. That was really awesome. And I think this weekend they're changing it to a Charizard. Yeah, so there will be, or I don't know if it's going to be in a different area, but they're going to have both the Pikachu and Charizard at some point. I don't know if this is officially part of the art walk, but spread out around Yokohama are these 3D boxes that you can kind of enter the Pokemon card. Did you find any of these? I did. I found the Wiglet that was near the Marine Walk, and there was a really long line to take a picture in it, so I didn't go in myself, but I did take a picture of it. And there were a few others I wanted to find, but I just didn't have the time when I went into the actual Worlds event. But they had the Pikachu and the Fido, and I had brought those cards with me, and I was like, oh, I want to take my picture, but that's okay. Maybe I'll get to it later, because I believe all of the Art Walk installations will be up through the end of September. Yes, I believe September 30th is the last day. Even if you didn't attend Pokemon Worlds, there is still actually quite a bit still to do in Yokohama that is Pokemon-related. Did you spend any time in the main hall in Pacifico? They had the Pokemon Activity Zone and the actual World Championship event. Yes, I did. So I went into the event on the second and third day of the tournament, and it was beyond anything I could have imagined. It was so cool to actually be in the tournament, watching it live. I went to see the Unite tournament because I really enjoy Pokemon Unite, and I also watched the championships for the VGC. Oh, cool. And What was the decoration in the main room? There was a lot of, not neon, but it was very rainbow and lit up. There were sakura trees. There were lots of lanterns depicting different shadows and silhouettes of Pokemon. They had flags and banners up of all the different Pokemon. There were also a lot of waves, so similar to the Katsushika wave of Kanagawa. They had the waves with Melodic and Gyarados. And the main stage had a huge taiko drum that was also a projector screen, but it had the World Championship logo. And the four parts of the stage were separated by season, spring, summer, fall, and winter for each respective game. So it was Unite... 
trading cards, video game, and Pogo, Pokemon Go. So that was really cool. They played the seasons into the decorations and also even the merch inside of the store. Yeah, let's talk merch. There was an official Pokemon World shop, which you needed a ticket to enter, and a few pop-up shops. Did you manage to grab any merch during Worlds? Yes, I did. So we did win the lottery for the store on the very first day we were there. So I went in, I grabbed some plushies, some kitchenware, some figures, a lot of stationery and some shirts. So when I first went in at that time, it was only one item of each thing per person. They were really limiting the prices. And then I did end up going back in with a friend who had extra guest passes and maybe that was on the second to the last day of the event and at that time they changed it so it was 10 items per person so it was really drastic but yeah it was so hard to be frugal and not spend a lot of money in there because I wanted one of everything. (laughs) Yeah I think initially they're trying to save their inventory but then they realize oh we actually have thousands of these Pikachu plushies so we need to get rid of them. I do believe those are coming to Pokemon centers all over Japan. I'm not sure if they're now, but they printed a lot of those. So those will appear probably in Pokemon centers or at least Mercari sooner than later. Yeah, definitely. So before we actually went to Yokohama, I went up to Sendai for the Tanabata Matsuri and I checked out the Tohoku Center and they did have the world's merch in there at that time, but the Pikachu and Sprigatito plushes were sold out. They did have the Fuecoco and Quaxley, and they did have pins, keychains, shirts, and um, some other items from the world, just not any of the exclusive event things, but they did have world's merch, but it quickly was going down in stock. So I can imagine the centers near Tokyo were sold out. The biggest thing I bought were these Mont Blanc flavored manju from Yokohama Harbor, which is a famous local snack shop. It was basically manju with Pokeballs stamped on it, but I had to buy it. I did see a lot of people had these inflatable Pokeballs with plushies inside. Do you have any idea where this was? Because I could not find it for the life of me. Ah, uh, I believe that was inside of the shopping mall with the Yokohama Pokemon Center. It was a huge gacha machine, and I'm pretty sure it was a thousand yen per try. And there were only six or seven options of plushies per day that chain that rotated each day. But you could do the huge gacha machine, and a random sitting cutie plushie would come out, and they inflate it into the little. Pokeball for you, and you could carry that around. So, yeah, I believe that was at the Pokemon Center in Yokohama. Okay, so it still might be there. Yeah, I think so. And they have these machines at many of the pop up stores that go up all around Japan. So, I've seen them in other places before too, in Toyama and Mie and other places. You think Tokyo has everything, but that's not exactly true. Every now and then, other Pokemon centers will have some sort of strange exclusive thing you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You got to get out of the big cities so you can find everything. All right. Was there anything I missed? I know there was a Pokemon Sweets pop-up shop and a couple of other small things. What were some other activities that we haven't touched on yet? Yeah, the Pikachu, I think it was called the drinks and desserts shop. So I didn't actually go to the shop itself inside of the Mark Is, but I did go to one of the pop-ups and I had the Isacube popsicle. So 
had his little penguin head on the inside and the ice block on the outside. And they actually give you the plastic mold for it so you can make the popsicles yourself at home later. And they did have the... In the same food court area, they had the Baskin Robbins that is also currently doing the Pokemon collaboration. So I had Pokemon ice cream. <laughs> yeah, there was a ton of just small things that had Pokemon themes around it. The train stations were decked out with Pokemon yeah, designs. Yeah, definitely. And there was a ticket gate that said Pikachu when you exited it. <laughs> they really went all out on the atmosphere, even if you couldn't do everything you wanted. I feel like just being there with other Pokemon fans made it worth visiting. Yeah, it was so amazing you were immersed into the pokemon world whether it be the train stations the boat area the port all of the pokegenics the art card art walk it was really neat if pokemon worlds returns to japan what would you like to see or is there anything you think they should change i definitely would like to see a change to the lottery system i don't know what the best way would be because I know if they were to sell tickets outright, they would just be sold out immediately, just like how the Pokemon Cafe um, reservations go immediately. But I think I would like to see a bigger outdoor event. The Matsuri was kind of in a small space, but if they had it in a whole park or something kind of similar to how they do the GoFest events, something like that, where everyone can just go and enjoy it without needing a ticket. So, for example, they do a lot of the shows in Rinko Park near Minato Mirai. And if they could turn the whole park into an event space, that would be really cool. The next Pokemon Worlds event is in Hawaii, which is technically not that far from us. What advice would you give to first-time visitors to the Pokemon Worlds event? Yeah, oh, I am so stoked that it's going to be in Hawaii. I literally started crying when they announced it live in the tournament center. But so it will most likely be in the Honolulu Convention Center, where they already hold lots of anime conventions and world conventions. So that area is used to hosting a lot of people. So staying in Waikiki, Honolulu, Manoa, anywhere close to the center of the island there is probably your best bet. If the hotels sell out fast, Airbnb is always a great way to go too. You can chip in with a bunch of other trainers and get a nice house somewhere on the beach and everyone can have an easy commute going to and from the convention center. It's also right next to the largest outdoor mall in the world called Ala Moana Center. So that's a great place for you to hang out and chill in between world events and things like that. Of course, Hawaii is nowhere near as hot as Japan is during the summer, so it'll be a lot more enjoyable and uh, in the heat because the heat outside in Yokohama was almost unbearable this year. I was really sweating, but yeah, I think it'll be a great time. Just book early because Hawaii is so small. There won't be a lot of accommodation, so I would definitely say to book as early as possible. Are you planning on attending next year's Worlds event? Oh, yes, for sure. Mm. I can't even imagine how amazing it will be to see <laughs> all the decorations, Hawaii-themed. We're literally going into the Alola region, and that yes. is my entire personality, so <laughs> I'm so excited. I'll probably try to go home for the whole month just to experience everything. 
when they were announcing it, part of me was thinking Tokyo, say Tokyo, put it in Japan again, but yeah. I, I wasn't as lucky. Yeah, Hawaii is quite the expensive destination, but there are ways to make it cheap, chipping in for the Airbnb or not going out and eating in fancy restaurants. But yeah, it, it'll be nice, a nice beach escape for the Alola region. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me to chat about the Pokemon World Championships. So Tiani, where can people find you? So I'm on Instagram at alola.pixie and I try to show daily Pokemon activities here in Japan. I also travel around the country to different prefectures and I show the Pokemon lids. And that was another thing that we could see in Yokohama. They installed four new lids just for the world's event. So of course I went and saw those as soon as possible. But yeah, I like to post about all of the Poke lids all over the country. I think I've seen 127 out of 307 oh, wow. so about halfway there but yeah thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today great and listeners the links to everything will be in the podcast description so check it out alola pixie once again thanks for joining me yes thank you aloha and alola normally i do one feature per episode but let's do some mini features keeping with pokemon i recently went to from hands to life an art exhibit from pokemon card artist yuka mori at the Kuosawa Design Institute in Harajuku. It was a small exhibit of the clay models in Yukamori's Pokemon card art. If you've never seen her works, look them up. They're so unique compared to other Pokemon cards, and the photography is excellent. It's the closest thing to Pokemon in the real world. The exhibit was quite small, but absolutely worth visiting. There were about a dozen figures there, my favorite easily being the Venusaur. They're larger than you'd think. Some can fit in the palm of your hand, but others are even bigger. I was so impressed by the craftsmanship. Even the underside of Venusaur's flower was rich in detail. But the best part was that the artist, Yuka Mori, was there in person. This was a total surprise since she specifically said on Twitter that she wouldn't be there. I had actually never seen what she looks like before, so I didn't know her when I saw her. But one of the staff said, hey, this is the artist. So I got to talk to her and it was a delight. We chatted about Pokemon and her work. She said that she originally edited books and then got the opportunity to create the art for the cards. She's also been doing it for over 20 years now and has created over 200 pieces. I asked where they're stored and she said the Pokemon company has them. I guess it does become their property after you make it, right? She also told me that the Venusaur took about a week to make since you have to mold and heat it up so many times. And the toughest one? Star you surprisingly. Even though it has a simple design, the shape is a bit difficult to pull off and the pose is kind of dynamic so it was hard to express. I only chatted with her for a few minutes, but it was awesome. I definitely didn't expect to meet her when I woke up that morning. The exhibit is over now, but definitely follow her on Twitter because she has exhibits every now and then in Tokyo. Final little mini feature, Mika Picasso's Illy Girl exhibit, also in Harajuku. I accidentally found this on the way to the Yukamori exhibit, but this one is significantly bigger. The entrance of the Tokyo Plaza, a big department store, was decked out in Mika Picasso art. I would have never imagined this a year ago. Mika Picasso, of course, is the character designer for Fire Emblem Engage. That's her only Nintendo connection, and the Illy Girl exhibit has no Nintendo art, but is still worth checking out. I went to her exhibit last year, and this one was even larger in scope and had completely new artwork. Even though she's a digital artist, her art is displayed in really creative and awesome ways. Some of my favorite were the screens that displayed live drawing, 
so you can see behind the curtain about how she creates art. It's hard to describe individual pieces. I mean, it was cute girls with vivid colors and incredibly dynamic poses. There were some video components like the last exhibit, and one room had projection mapping on the walls. Merch? It's there, but a lot of it was sold out or expensive. The clear file set is 1,500 yen, for example. It runs for a few more days, so if you're in Tokyo, be sure to check it out. She will probably have another exhibit sooner than later, though. Let's take a brief ad break. Alex, hi, I'm Ray. How would you explain our show, No More Whoppers? Are you a nerd having trouble transitioning from your 20s to 30s to 40s and beyond? Age with us, not at us. I'm already gray. Are you tired of the man keeping you down? If you see something, say something. Do you enjoy the family computer? Capsule computing. We got them all. No More Whoppers. We outlived the queen. She said it couldn't be done. No, I'm fading. <laughs> Come back. I can't do this alone. Do you enjoy number munchers? And is numbers what you call p- Then listen to No More Whoppers. Only on the Tokyo Beat Network. That's it for the feature. Now for the games. All right. I rolled credits on Pikmin 4 and also cleared out the post game. Got all the treasures, saved all the leaflings. So I've done pretty much all there is to do. The only thing left is to share some closing thoughts. Nintendo EPD 10, 18, they really went all out with this game, didn't they? It does feel like the devs thought, this could be the last Pikmin game, so let's give it our all. Obviously, this won't be the final Pikmin game, as evidenced by the incredibly strong sales so far. But it is pretty shocking just how vast the game actually is. It took me 35 hours to complete the game. That's pretty much as long as a typical JRPG. I would have never imagined that Nintendo would make a Pikmin game of this scope. Even Pikmin 3, a game that had intricate stages and a variety of modes, is about 8 hours to clear the story, and 15 if you do every little thing, including the DLC. I think short game length has been a common criticism of the series, but no one's going to be complaining about that now. Pikmin 4 only got better as it went along. Oddly, credits started to roll about the two-thirds mark. If you quit there, I think you'll be satisfied, but so much of the story is unresolved and there's a ton of things to do in the quote-unquote post-game. It did remind me of Pokemon Gold and Silver a bit. Everyone considers Kanto the post-game content, but that game wraps up quicker than most Pokemon titles. The post-game content in Pikmin 4 does feel like the Kanto of Pikmin. I think because the game is so uncharacteristically long for a Pikmin title, they wanted to give casual players an out, so they introduced credits earlier than usual. But it's hard to imagine people will just stop there, considering how fun the game is and the tease of more levels and new modes. My favorite part of the Pikmin titles are the overworld exploration and the puzzle solving. People who haven't played the series might think, what's the appeal of the game? And to me, it's classic Nintendo-style puzzle solving. Stages feel like a mix of classic Zelda lock and key design, along with Metroid's emphasis on backtracking and creating new routes. I love navigating these vast dangerous areas and unlocking new paths and finding hidden nooks that I can further explore another day. Pikmin 4 gives us the biggest stages yet filled with puzzles, bosses, and those sweet, sweet treasures. The game has over 200 treasures, and there are so many fantastic ones rendered at the highest of definitions. The Nintendo treasures are fan favorites, and there's a good balance of obvious inclusions and really deep cuts. It is funny to think that some of the GameCube-related treasures you pick up didn't exist when Pikmin 1 came out. There's some great Japanese cultural items in here as well, including a Daruma and even a no theater mask. I might break your mind here, but while the treasures are a lot of fun to collect, it's really just window dressing, isn't it? 
What's the difference between, say, a lemon treasure and a jingle bell treasure? Treasures have different weight requirements, and you may need to use a specific Pikmin to get them based on the location, but when the Pikmin are carrying it, all the treasures are pretty much the same, right? I'm not sure what's a good way to differentiate the treasures, but they are all functionally the same if you think about it. But don't think about it too hard. You just want to see the Pikmin carry them, right? Most of the treasures are hidden in caves, these segmented sections that house unique puzzles and scenarios. They are very much like shrines in Zelda, and they offer unusual challenges that would be impossible to naturally integrate into the main world. These mostly focus on puzzle solving, but there were some combat shrines, if you will. And like the Zelda shrines, there's a tremendous amount of variety here. There wasn't a single cave where I thought, oh, this again? Some might have similar ideas, but in classic Nintendo fashion, there's always a twist or an escalation on a gameplay concept. The caves are from Pikmin 2, and I know that there are some very hardcore Pikmin 2 fans who vastly prefer exploring the caves compared to exploring the overworld. But Pikmin 4 strikes a fantastic balance between both. It really does feel like a peace treaty between the warring Pikmin 1 and 2 factions, while also incorporating the level design and philosophy from 3 and introducing a lot of new elements as well. I played 3 for the first time over the New Year holiday, and I absolutely loved it. I talked about it on the podcast earlier this year, but while I loved Pikmin 3, it did feel like a 10-year-old game. Pikmin 4 is much more streamlined in terms of controls and a healthy dose of auto-aim. Some might not like this, but I think it was a pretty necessary addition and didn't bug me until the final boss. Nintendo has really sanded down the rough edges from the series in this title, which is why I think so many people who are playing Pikmin for the first time are loving this game. And I've gone too long without mentioning the most important concept, Dandori, the art of planning and executing. I love how Nintendo took this random Japanese word and essentially made it the game's catchphrase. Not many companies would think, let's just take a Japanese word and make it a huge aspect of our worldwide marketing. But that's one reason why I love Nintendo. They never shy away from the fact that they are a Japanese company who are often inspired by traditional Japanese art and culture. While the game is pretty flexible in terms of your Don Doty skills during the main game, you have a time limit on the days, but you don't have a day limit, it really tests your mettle in the special Don Doty Meditation Caves. Here you are given a set time limit to collect as many treasures as possible. And these are no pushovers. I had multiple challenges where I finished in literally the last second. And plenty where I failed. But the game clearly conveys what you did wrong, and you do feel a sense of accomplishment after easily clearing a challenge you failed earlier. Nintendo, in general, is good about establishing a concept and then the player engaged with it on both a macro and micro scale. The game is built around the Dondori concept, so you're doing it the entire game, but you also have these smaller, intense challenges that distills the Dondori concept into its barest but purest form. Much like Tears of the Kingdom, you had a wide game-spanning quest, but you were also able to enjoy these micro-adventures through emerging gameplay and side quests. Is Pikmin 4 the Tears of the Kingdom of the Pikmin franchise? I mean, technically, both games ramp up the sheer amount of content the series is known for, as well as introducing some major gameplay mechanics that force the player to completely reevaluate how they engage with the game. Yes, Ochi is the ultra hand of Pikmin. If we're talking about back of the box, big new features, Ochi and Ice Pikmin are it. Ochi is a really great addition. He's useful without being a crutch, but yeah, he's certainly a bit overpowered. So many enemies can be dealt with by just ramming them with Ochi, and a lot of the bosses are designed around the player doing this. An issue with the Pikmin franchise has always been navigating a hundred of these little creatures across the map. Sometimes they fall off bridges, or get stuck in corners, or just lay around. 
Having Ochi as a way to gather all your Pikmin in a very compact space is incredibly convenient. I almost feel now that you need an Ochi equivalent for future Pikmin games, some sort of X-factor that goes beyond just your Pikmin's capabilities. The Ice Pikmin, again like Ochi, kind of make the game easier since they can immobilize enemies. This does make the enemies explode, so you don't get their oh-so-valuable corpse, but later in the game, you do just kind of want to get rid of enemies as fast as possible. Their secondary function of freezing the water isn't used a whole lot, but there are some clever puzzles based around it. They're a pretty unique addition to the Pikmin canon. I still like Rock Pikmin the best. Sadly, they kind of take a backseat in this game, but you do get a Rock Pikmin onion, so you can have a million of them if you so choose. Other points of praise, I love all the leaflings and the other people you rescue. Everyone has such a strange design and silly personality. I like how many of them are just normal people with boring jobs. You have real estate agents, teachers, reporters. The game has a lot of personality, and it often conveys it through its characters. The most important character, though? Apparently, Olimar. Some slight spoilers, so skip ahead if you want to go in blind. But yes, after you roll credits, you do get to play as Olimar in a remix of Pikmin 1. You have 15 days to find all your parts hidden across the Pikmin 4 levels. The format is exactly the same as Pikmin 1, and it's really crazy since it's like they built a Pikmin 1 remake into this game. The parts are exactly the same from the first game as well. As someone who just beat that game not too long ago, before I played Pikmin 4, it was a joy to see all these weird gadgets in glorious 1080p, including the piggy bank. This side adventure takes about three hours, which is nearly the length of the first game. They absolutely did not need to put this into the game. It really serves no purpose except to unlock some challenges, but I love that they included a pseudo-remake into this game for seemingly no reason. Again, it does feel like the devs set out to create the ultimate Pikmin game. One thing I haven't mentioned are the Sage Leaf Trials, which are the ultimate challenges. I can't lie, I tapped out after about two or three. My Dondori skills aren't up to snuff. If you are hardcore enough, it's there. The game doesn't skimp out on the challenges. If I had to toss out some criticisms, I didn't think the Night Expeditions were an exciting addition. They do tie in with the Dondori aspect, since you need to manage Ochi and balance between defense and collecting objects, but a lot of these felt samey and were not too difficult. You need to do them for story purposes and if you are trying to 100% the game, but I never felt interested in doing them. Again, this mode is not bad, but it's just pretty underwhelming. I could really go on and on about how creative and engaging this game is. Best level? I'd give it to Heroes Hideaway. Going inside a house is a great idea, and they make it stand out with the emphasis on verticality and turning electronics on and off. Now for my Pikmin rankings. Rock, blue, ice, purple, red, flying, yellow, white. As for the game rankings, I'm pretty comfortable at putting this at number one. Pikmin 3 is still fantastic though and worth picking up if you've played this one and still want more Pikmin. That game's emphasis on co-op actually helps it stand out, and I do think the overworld puzzles are still quite excellent. Pikmin 4 is definitely one of the year's biggest surprises. I think even Pikmin Hardcore had no idea how good this game would turn out. It's likely to be pretty high on my Game of the Year list. Also, isn't it crazy that between Zelda and Pikmin, Nintendo delivered two games that give out around 200 hours of content? Wild to think about. That's it for games, now for the news. item one is pretty obvious. Charles Martinet is stepping away from the role of Mario and crew. Nintendo released a statement saying that Martinet will no longer be voicing the characters and instead has the nebulous role of Mario Ambassador. I felt a little shocked at first, 
but also this day was going to come sooner than later. He is 67, but then again, he seems to be in good health and does other voice work every now and then. It's hard not to speculate, but honestly, we don't know what happened. Maybe Nintendo asked him to step down, maybe he wanted to lighten his workload, but either way, he still has a role at Nintendo, and we'll be seeing from him every now and then, I'm sure. I have to assume a big chunk of his yearly income is from convention appearances and whatnot, so he can still continue that. I know he gets criticism about the role, with people saying he just goes into a booth and says wahoo and that's it, but people forget that he had a major hand in creating these voices. He's not doing an imitation. It's something he and Nintendo created together. These new Mario voices, like Mickey Mouse, it'll likely be an imitation of what has come before. But maybe Nintendo will take this as an opportunity to slightly rebrand Mario. Maybe adjust his personality a bit, including his voice. The ultimate question, who is the new voice of Mario? I don't think Nintendo is going to roll out the red carpet for whoever replaces Martinet. I can see them being a bit more low-key with the new voice cast. I mean, off the top of your head, do you know who voices Link? At least the Hayaz? Martinet does Mario, Luigi, Wario, and Waluigi, so I wonder if they're going to get somebody for each character, or will it be one person to do all of them again? Martinet's rage was one of his strengths, so it should be interesting to see if they can find another person who can do all these voices accurately. The first Martinet-less game will be Super Mario Wonder. When the trailer dropped, many said that it didn't sound like Martinet, Initially, I thought this was a bit silly because, yeah, it sounded like Mario. But how it's off to those who figured it out. What's the listening version for eagle-eyed? Eagle-eared? Another small piece of Mario news, Baskin-Robbins will have a Super Mario collaboration in Japan starting on September 1st. The main event is a Sunday inside a big green pipe. There's also two exclusive flavors based on 1-Up and Super Mushrooms. But no, they aren't mushroom-flavored. If you get a cup, there's some special Mario patterns, and you also get a mushroom-adorned cookie. It's basically the same as the Splatoon collaboration from last year, but with Mario. I am expecting a huge Mario push this fall in Japan. You've got Wonder, WarioWare, and Super Mario RPG. I don't think WarioWare will get that big of a push, but the other two should have collabs and other fun marketing events in the country. After the marketing palooza we saw with Zelda and Pikmin, I expect huge things for Mario. And I'll be here to share it with you. Pokemon, it's back. This time with a new one. Poltergeist, aka perhaps the greatest Pokemon there was and ever will be. Also called Chades in Japanese. It's a matcha-themed Pokemon. Now, I love matcha and green tea. I drink it pretty much every day. I don't know if that's healthy, but it's what I do. I actually used to study tea ceremony right here in Japan. Unfortunately, I paused it due to COVID and then never got back into it. But for two years, I did practice tea ceremony every week. And when I was thinking about making a podcast, I was thinking about doing a podcast about Japanese tea. But then I found somebody else was doing it and doing it incredibly well. So I moved on from that. But the point is that I love tea. It's a huge part of my life. And I'm thrilled to see a matcha Pokemon. It's similar to Sinistee, but a totally different Pokemon. Like Wiglet and Diglett. Fans often call these convergent species or regional fakes, but I don't think Game Freak has even given these Pokemon a specific classification. The body is a Chaide, where you store the matcha before putting it into a bowl, and it wields a Chashaku, a tool you use to scoop the matcha out of the container. Now, the Chaide is used for thick green tea, and the Natsume, which is a lacquered wood container, is used for thin green tea. Most tea ceremonies use the Natsume, and you really only break out the Chaide for very, very special occasions. It's a grass ghost Pokemon, which is a very fun typing. 
it'll definitely be on my team for the DLC. I'm sure there's a couple of new Pokemon they're hiding, perhaps a Poltergeist evolution. I think it has to evolve into the Chawan, the T-Bowl, and it now wields a Hishaku, which is the ladle you use to put water into the bowl. I foresee myself buying a lot of Poltergeist merch in the future. But hey, where is the cloth merch? It's been almost a year and we've had practically nothing. Another small piece of Pokemon news, the Pokemon company is collaborating with the design firm Nendo to bring us Pokemon Mosaic, a new merch line where the Pokemon have been reimagined as, you guessed it, Mosaic Patterns. A bit abstract, but you can still kind of tell what the Pokemon is based on the colors. There will be a pop-up shop in Tokyo for a limited time, but I do have a ticket, so I will report back. Finally, we are days away from Splatoon 3's biggest update yet, Drizzle Season 2023. We're getting a new slosher in Splatling, eight new weapon variations, new gear, returning gear, and two new stages. Crab Lake Capital, which takes place in a very busy financial district, and Ship-Shaped Cargo, which is set on a ship in the Arctic. A really nice change of pace from the aesthetic of the other levels. I think they're pretty good with mixing up the look of these stages this time around. We've got an onsen, a pyramid, the arctic. Are we going to get a space level? And for the first time ever, we are getting a Big Run and Splatfest event in the same month. Big Run takes place in the Umami Ruins, and it will have rare weapons. Plus, you get a toy of the helicopter if you do well. But the main event, the Splatfest. Who is the best leader? Shiver, Fry, or Big Man? Yes, we are getting a deep-cut Splatfest. Like the other Splatoon games, we are pitting the idols against each other to declare one as the ultimate idol. I expect Shiver to at least easily win the votes. At Yorubashi Camera in Shinjuku, they actually have an ad for the Splatfest already up. The display board even has a place to put stickers for your favorite idol, and Shiver was running away with it. I posted it on social media, so check it out if you haven't. It's such an odd thing to make, but I love it. Other new things include workwear for Salmon Run that you will never unlock, and new music including a song from Big Man. This is really awesome. They uploaded a preview, so check it out on YouTube if you haven't yet. This is the big one-year anniversary update, so it's appropriately beefy. Though I have to wonder, where is Side Order? Octo came out a year after the original game, but we haven't heard from Side Order in a good while. It was not at the June Direct at all. I still think it's coming out this year, though, likely in December. Nintendo hasn't announced a December title yet, and often they rely on DLC to carry the month. September only has the Pokemon DLC, for example. I'm not sure if the Splatfest will play into the DLC. It might be too soon to wait for the results and then flip a switch, but I'm sure the next Splatoon project will reference the winner. Seriously, Side Order is going to come out and secretly be like the fourth best game of the year or something. All right, that's all for this week. Thanks, as always, for listening. Be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite app. Leave a five-star review as well. It really helps with visibility. The podcast is also available on YouTube, so like and subscribe there as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just search for Tokyo Game Life or find the links in the podcast description. If you like the podcast, be sure to share with your friends and on social media. If there's anything you want me to talk about or cover, don't be shy. Just message me on Twitter. The next episode will be on September 10th. See you next time. Matane. Matane.